Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now, in this audio, finishing the book of John by finishing the last chapter in John, which is chapter 21. We're going to take up the verses from 15 through 25, which I've not covered yet. I covered in the last audio the, f- audio, the first half of John 21. That's That was John 21, verses 1 through 14. The whole chapter, John chapter 21, refers to Jesus' appearance to his seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee sometime after the resurrection. In fact, after the second Sunday night after the resurrection, when Jesus had appeared already twice to his disciples assembled, they had been told by an angel and probably by Jesus too to head on up. Well, he did not probably by Jesus to go to Galilee, and they and seven of them met Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what we hear are are here now. You remember in the last, in the first part of the chapter in the last audio, the disciples caught a bunch of fish, which reminded them of the times when they had caught a bunch of fish when they when Jesus was calling them to be fishers of men and then Jesus cooked on the shore a fish a, a meal of fish and bread which reminded them of the feeding of the 4000 and 5000 of the wilderness and so he's recapitulating his ministry with them to encourage them to go on to spread the gospel so we get to verses 15 16 and 17 when they had eaten breakfast Jesus asked Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these. Now I'm going to read the Greek words that are used for love as we go through here because people make so much a big deal out of this and I think they are making errors when they do that. So let me read the Greek word along with it. Simon, son of John, do you love agapos me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, he, Peter said to him, Jesus, you know that I love Philo, you feed my lambs. He, Jesus, told him, Peter. A second time, he, Jesus, asked him, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Agapos me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love Philo you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus, he, Jesus, told him, told Peter. He asked, he, Jesus, asked him, Peter, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love Philos me? Jesus switches words from Agapes to Philos right there, Philo. Do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, Do you love me? Do you phileis me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love philo you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now, this is a very famous passage. First of all, we need to examine a little difficulty here. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these what? more than you love these other disciples that are here, these other six disciples gathered by the Sea of Galilee. Gil denies that. NIV Study Bible suggested as an option. Or could it be that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these things that are here, the fishing gear, the fish, all of your worldly possessions? Maybe. NIV Study Bible suggests that. Gil denies it. Or could it mean, Simon, do you love, do you love, do you love me more than these men love me? Now, Gill affirms that. Clark affirms that. NIV Study Bible suggests that. So let me repeat that third option, which is probably what it is. Do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me, Jesus, more than these other disciples love me? Now, there is a problem with that. You will wonder why would Jesus start setting one person's love for him up against another person's love for him? I don't know. I'm not sure that's what he meant here. So perhaps it is the option, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? But at any rate, Peter, Jesus is calling out Peter's love for him because Peter had claimed that earlier. At the Lord's Supper, John 13:37, Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Matthew 26, 33, again at the Lord's Supper, Peter told him, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. Mark 14, 29, again at the Lord's Supper, parallel passage, Peter told him, now if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. So Jesus is reminding Peter of his devotions. And of course, by asking him three times, do you love me? It's very obvious what he's doing here. He's trying to rehabilitate Peter because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so if someone might say, Peter, you can't be an apostle. You can't be a leader in the church. You certainly can't be the leader of the apostles. You denied Jesus three times. And Jesus, in front of the other disciples, is saying, look, don't you look down on Simon. I'm telling him, he's confessed his love for me three times here, and then I'm going to and I've told him to feed my sheep three times, and feeding my sheep means taking care of the church. Now that word feed, by the way, is used twice, three times. The first and third times is Bosco. The second time is poimano. The poimano word means feed, but it also means shepherd, as in not only feed, but take care of, as in when a shepherd shepherds a sheep. And in fact, that's where the word pastor comes from. A pastor is a shepherd. Poimano is the word that is that is translated pastor, for example, in Acts chapter 28, I think it is. Pastor my sheep or feed my sheep or shepherd my sheep. It's all the same idea. So what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I want you to take care of my flock and don't let your earlier denial get in the way of that. That's basically the thrust of this whole passage here. John Gill makes the point that three times is good testimony according to Jewish law. Out Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every truth be established. Well, here's three witnesses feed my sheep now let's talk about this love business here's a summary of how jesus and peter dealt with each other using that english word love now unfortunately in greek well i shouldn't say unfortunately i guess unfortunately in english there's only one word for it but in greek there's at least two and here there's two there's other words too but right here we're just going to look at agape agapao Agapao is the verb, first person singular, agapao, and phileo is the first person singular for love. Both of them mean love. Now, here's what, I'm going to use the infinitive forms here as I go through. First, Jesus asked, do you agape me? Peter replied, I phileo you. Second time, Jesus asked, do you agape me? Peter Peter replied, I phileo you. Nothing different there. Peter answers with a different word than Jesus means, than Jesus uses. Third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter replies, I phileo you. Now, here's what is often done by people wanting to make homiletical hay out of this passage. Have a great, a great tear-filled sermon. They say that agape love is the higher love, the unconditional love for God, whereas phileo is human love. And so Jesus is asking Peter, do you have a love for God for me? And Peter replies, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like God? like a God, like God. And Peter replies, I phileo you, I love you like a brother. And so the idea is, Peter is not really affirming his love for Jesus in the full sense like he ought to be. The problem with that is when you get to the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter replied, I love you like a brother. I don't know what you can make out of that. The reason you can't make any sense out of that, in my opinion, even though five million people preachers have, have tried to do so, is that phileo and agapao mean exactly the same thing. There's no difference in what they mean. And to prove that, Demas agapied this present world when he left Paul. He agapied this present world. That's the love for God? No, it's the love for this world, for Bob Backslider. How about the Pharisees? They agape the first seats in the synagogue. 
How about this? John 3.19, men agapied the darkness. Men love the darkness. That's not loving God. That's loving the opposite of God. And how about this? The father phileos the son. You would think that would be agape if God, if that's the higher kind of godlike unconditional love that father would agape the son. No, he says the father phileos the son in John 5.20. And then in John 3.35, John says that the father agapes the son. So he uses two different words to say the same thing. The father agapes the son and the father phileos the son. Folks, there's no difference in the word. It means the same thing. We don't need to be making some kind of subtle meaning over these over the shift in words. Besides, Peter answered the same way every time I phileo you, I phileo you, I phileo you. That doesn't sound to me like there's been any advance in his love for Jesus at all. All right, we'll leave that unfortunate. I had a friend of mine when I told him this. He says, Dan, you just ruined 10,000 preacher sermons. Yeah, I probably did. But all you got to do, if you don't believe me on this, I know it's a myth and myths are hard to get rid of. Just go to a lexicon and look it up. Just look at the times that the word agape and phileo are used interchangeably with no difference. And you'll see that I know exactly what I'm talking about here. We go to verse 21, 18. Jesus continues, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Here Jesus predicts Peter's crucifixion, which happened roughly in AD 65 by Nero, the Antichrist, so-called Antichrist of Revelation, the 666 guy. That is, if you hold to a Orthodox Preterist view of Revelation, which I do. That's why I call him the Antichrist. Well, it's actually not the Antichrist. That word's not used as the beast. But anyway, the point is, is that Peter is going to be crucified, and Jesus is telling him about it. He says, they will stretch out your hands, because when Roman prisoners were crucified, the prisoners' heads were put in a yoke. The yoke then spread out to both sides of the head, and they would stretch their arms out on the wooden extensions to the left and right of the headpiece. And then... They would make him march toward his crucifixion. And Jesus said, this is a place where you don't want to go. Obviously, people don't want to go get crucified. Now, the interesting thing is, that happened 35 years later. Jesus said, when you grow old, that's right, 35 years from, from what time it was then when they were talking. It's about 80, 30 or so when Jesus died. And that's about, he's been resurrected from the dead. So it's around 80, 30, assuming that date is right. And then if Peter got killed somewhere in mid-60s. So you're talking about 35 years later, Jesus gives him a heads up. You're going to get crucified, Peter. Now, the next question is, why would Jesus do that? Well, in my humble opinion, I haven't read anywhere any suggestion on this, but in my opinion, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus was trying to prepare Peter so, so that when Peter saw what would happen, he would say, ah, oh, yes, I remember Jesus predicted this. I'm going to die. Well, that's okay. I'm going to die because Jesus predicted it, and so he would take it with a little bit more peace. Now, tradition has it, and it's a strong tradition, and nobody has any reason to doubt it, and I certainly don't. The tradition was that Peter was killed by Nero by crucifixion, but he felt like he was unworthy to, to be crucified the same way that Jesus was, and so he demanded that he be crucified upside down, and that sounds pretty horrendous to me. Well, Peter went a long way from somebody that denied Jesus in fear three times to somebody who went bit, who was crucified upside down for Jesus. Over a billion people now believe in Jesus Christ after Peter and his other disciples did their foundational work in the church. We go to verse 19. He, Jesus, said this to signify what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. After saying this, he, Jesus, told him, Peter, follow me. Now, Jesus has already told him, feed my sheep three times, and now he says, follow me. Now, what does he mean by follow? 
Option number one, Jesus wants Peter to walk home for a private interview. Mm, I don't think so. That's Adam Clark's idea. He suggested. Clark also suggests, I think more reasonably, that Jesus is saying to Peter, follow me in my death by crucifixion. If Peter understood it this way, he was more than willing because he did it. So now we see that post-Pentecost, Jesus, Peter was not going to deny Jesus like he did before. He followed Jesus all the way. He followed Jesus all the way until he, Peter, was executed. So we see here three commands to feed by Jesus to Peter and one command to follow. Feed, 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 follow. Nobody can feed Jesus' sheep without following Jesus. That goes together. And all these wannabe pastors out there, you want to be a big shot pastor, I want to tell you one thing, you better learn to feed the sheep. That's my application point for that verse. We go to verses 20, 21 and 22 of John chapter 21. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. That's John. The disciple that Jesus loved was John. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, following Peter and Jesus. That disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is it? The, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about John? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? It's for you, follow me. Now we know this is John because in John 13:23, at the Lord's, at the Last Supper, we read this. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. John 13, 24 and 25, Simon Peter mentioned, motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, what is it? So John was the one who was sitting next to Jesus and laid his head on Jesus' breast. So John identifies himself. He never mentions himself by name because of modesty's sake. And by the way, four verses later, let me just go ahead and drop down here. Four verses later, John says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things. He's finishing up his book. He says, this, meaning me, the author of the book, testifies. And the this it probably also refers to the one who laid his head on Jesus' breast back in verse 20. Anyway, I don't, nobody really disputes that. This is John that's being talked about. Now, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain, if I want John to remain until I come, what is that to you? Is for you, follow me. In other words, application point here is don't worry about what Jesus is doing with other disciples of Christ. They, you know, some of them are up, some of them are down, some of them are winning five trillion people to Christ, and you're just sitting in a back order doing nothing. You know, it's easy to want to compare yourself to other people as far as what your ministry is. The key is to do what Jesus wants you to do, and sometimes he's going to put you in the desert like Paul was in the Arabian desert for two years. <laughs> you just don't know, you know. Or maybe he's going to put you in a jail cell like he put Paul. You don't know, like he put Paul in, at the end of the book of Acts in Rome. So that's the point to be made out of it. Now we need to talk about what does the word come mean. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, it's a little bit ambiguous. There are some options. First option, it could be the second coming. And I want John to remain until I come 2,000 plus years from now in the future at the end of time. I don't think it can mean that because John would not be reasonably expected to be hanging around for 2,000 plus years. I think that's out of the question. It can't mean that. However, the NIV Study Bible says this is a clear declaration of the second coming. Well, it ain't clear to me. How could Jesus accept, expect Peter to hang around for 2,000 plus years? Well, the way people say that is because they think that, I guess they think that Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. If I want him to remain for 5 million years, it doesn't matter to you. You're going in 35 years. 
that's kind of the way. And it could be that. I, I grant you it could be that, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a minute. I believe it's 8070. John Gill agrees with me. Adam Clark suggests it. And as a matter of fact, John did remain alive till 8070. Peter did not. Now, Jesus spoke hypothetically. He says, if I want him to remain until I come. But as it turned out, that hypothetical came true. John did hang around till Jesus came in judgment in 8070. This, again, is Orthodox Preterist Theology. If you want to learn all about that, look, look at, listen to my audios on Matthew 24. I got videos about it, too, on YouTube. Coming does not always mean coming at the end of time. It often means coming in 8070, coming in judgment. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. So does John Gill, as a matter of fact. I think he's right, even though he's not really a preterist of any sort. Option number three, when Jesus says, John will remain until I come, Jesus meant that John will remain alive forever. Well, now, how can it be? This is Adam Clark's idea. This is what John Gill says. Many eminent men, ancient and modern, have been and are of this opinion, that John will remain alive forever. Well, maybe what they meant is, if I want John to remain alive forever, I'm speaking hypothetically and hyperbolically, and even though that's not going to happen, even if it was going to happen, what's that to you, Peter? It's none of your business. Adam Clark gives another idea. The coming means Jesus coming to John personally to take him away by a natural death. So Jesus would be saying this, if I want John to remain until I come for John to take him home to heaven, what is that to you? Well, that's nice speculation. I don't believe it's true. Adam Clark's got another good one. If I want him to remain in that physical spot until I come back, what is that to you? In other words, if I want him to remain right here until we finish walking and I come back to talk to him, what is that for you? Well, that, I don't believe that. That doesn't, that's, that's too mundane. That doesn't rise to the level of something a little bit more majestic. Well, Adam Clark summarizes the problem here, and he says, quote, for nearly... 1,800 years, the greatest men in the world have been puzzled with this passage. Well, I ain't a great man, and I ain't puzzled. He's just talking about it. If I want him to remain till I come in 8070, what's that to you? As a matter of fact, he is going to remain, and you're not going to make it, but that's okay. Anyway, that's the secondary point. The main point is we don't, we got, we don't need to be, the application here is we don't need to be jealous or concerned about what other people's ministry or fate is. We all live different lives. They're incre- if you listen, I'm 68 years old, and I, I've heard and listened to so many different Christian testimonies. I mean, you know, you want to be Johnny Cash? He was saved, but his life was a little chaotic. Well, hey, I can't be Johnny Cash. I can't sing like him, and I didn't do drugs like him, and I didn't run out on his wife. It's my wife like him, but hey, he got saved. I'm happy. We can't worry about other people's lives. Now, when G- Peter asked, what about John? He was probably wondering whether John was going to be killed following Jesus or not. Already, Peter understands they're going to tie you and take you to some place where you don't want to go. I'm sure Peter knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You're going to get killed. And so then Peter said, well, what about John? Is he going to get killed too? It's a natural thing to ask. Are we all going to die following you? (laughs) Jesus says, don't worry about it, Peter. I'm telling you, he put a lot of responsibility on these early disciples, a lot of stress. I don't know if I could have handled it, what they had to go through. John 21, 23. So this report spread to the brothers that this disciple would not die because obviously they took the words, John will remain until I come. They took the words as referring to when Jesus comes back at the end of time so John will not die. Well, John could, Jesus couldn't admit that because John did die. And in fact, John the Apostle corrects this erroneous idea right here at the end of verse 23. Yet Jesus did not tell him, tell John, that he would not die, but, quote, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? 
So John disabuses the brothers, the Christian brothers, of that erroneous idea that John was going to live forever until the second coming of Jesus, because Jesus wasn't talking about the second coming. Sounds to me like the ancient brothers were as confused as the modern brothers are on this verse. It just means 8070. I'm going to come to 8070 in my humble opinion. John 21, verse 24. This is the disciple, this person writing this book, or this disciple who laid his head on Jesus' uh, breast at the Lord's Supper, as referred to in verse 20 of four verses previous. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And once again, we see John's emphasis on testimony. Jesus appeared to nine or ten post-resurrection appearances, and John records most of them. He constantly talks about miracles are a signpost to heaven in the last two verses of chapter 20 and the last verse of chapter 21, which we'll get to in just a minute. He's talking about witnesses and signposts that point to heaven, miracles, signs. The first seven miracles he did were called signs. I should say the first seven miracles recorded in John were called signs, signposts. They point you to heaven. John 1, 7, he, Jesus, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Testimony, evidence, Jesus was the Son of God. We know that his testimony is true. Who's the we referring to? Well, it could be referring to all men now know that Jesus' testimony is true. It could be referring to the Ephesian church because John worked in Ephesus when he got off of the Isle of Patmos when he was put in exile, and before too, I think. But anyway, he was noted for being connected with the Ephesian church. Could be the leader, we, the leaders of the Asiatic churches, know that his testimony is true. It could be the editorial we, which really means I, Adam Clark suggests this, but says it's unlikely. I think he's correct. It is unlikely. It could refer to the entire church of God. We, the entire church of God, know that his testimony is true. Or it could mean John and his fellow apostles. And frankly, I think that's what it does mean. We, John, and the fellow disciples, but maybe not. I mean, it's it's unclear. We don't know. But at any rate, it is known that Jesus' testimony is true. But everybody that, that is concerned about it, we know his testimony is true. Again, the, 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 the apologetic motive of John comes through here. Is, it's all through the book of John. I'm going to prove to you guys that Jesus was the Son of God, and he rose again from the dead. That's why I like John. It soothes my formerly skeptical heart. John 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. That's the verse I mentioned previously, the last verse in John 21, the last verse in the Gospel of John, that is a an apologetic verse, a witnessing verse, a testifying verse. There's so many things that Jesus did, I've just selected some of the good ones. And you've gotten to see some of them, but there's a, a ton of other ones. Ask people what he did. Everywhere. The whole world could contain all the books that could be written about the incredible things that Jesus, the Son of God, did. Gosh, I wish the world would look at Jesus we would be so much better off down here. The last verse, the next to the last verse in John 20, verse 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. John repeats the idea at the end of John chapter 21. There are also many other things that Jesus did. If they were written out one by one, they weren't even written down. They weren't written down by John or anybody else. It's just so many stuff that that was being done ladies and gentlemen i have finished john i have finished the four gospels and our next audio i'm going to take up acts chapter one i hope you stay tuned for that and i hope you enjoyed this audio